Well, if you don't know who my name, uh, who I am, my name's Addison. I am on staff at Outpost. I get to help Kate, uh, who's not here today, but I get to help her kind of lead our kids' ministry, and I also uh, get to help lead our students' ministry, and it's been a blast. Um, if you don't know me, I'd love to meet you, so come up afterwards uh, and introduce yourself to me. Uh, but uh, today we're going to be in Nehemiah 12. Like Greg said earlier, we're going to be finishing up our Nehemiah series uh, before we launch into a new series next week. Uh, but before we do, uh, I want to take this opportunity, uh, because it's a family Sunday and everybody for the most part is up here, uh, if you are a kids ministry volunteer, if you've helped in the past year in any way with kids ministry, can you raise your hand real quick? Okay, look around, look around, seriously. That's amazing. Yeah, sorry. I, and, I, y'all can give, give it up for them. Uh, that is amazing. I uh, have gotten the opportunity to be down there quite a bit, and parents, if you send your kids down there, you would be uh, mightily encouraged by uh, what they're learning and, and what our kids' ministry volunteers are teaching them. It is a blessing, a blessing. Every week I'm encouraged. Um, but with that, let me pray, and then we'll dive into it. Lord, thank you for fun. I pray that uh, it's not my words, but your words today. I pray that uh, we are focused on you and your glory and, and how good you have been to us. I pray that today we leave uh, with a heart filled with joy, ready to celebrate you and what you've done in all of our lives, we thank you. I pray that you be with us today. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, if you know me, which some of y'all do, you should know that there's a specific team uh, that I love a lot. Uh, Does anybody know what that is? Bingo. It is the Arkansas Razorbacks. And so uh, from 2016 to 2020, I went to the University of Arkansas. But actually before that, I grew up an Arkansas fan. So my dad also went there. uh, And and I had no choice. uh, And I also have a nine-month-old son. Guess where he's going to go? That's a joke, but only kind of. Um, And I actually have a picture. You want to put that picture up there? That's me. You can kind of see. I don't know how old I was. Like probably like six or seven, maybe maybe I don't know, uh, but that is in Arkansas. I mean, I was from birth an Arkansas fan. Uh, you can take that down. <laughs> That's kind of distracting. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, I gotta, I'm all over the place. Uh, here's why I'm telling you this, is because I'm gonna give you a little bit of a history lesson on Arkansas football, uh, and, and it is a purpose. It's purposeful, I promise. And so, if you're an Arkansas fan, I'm about to say something. You might want to plug your ears. The reality is, from about 1970 to 2022, if you were to summarize Arkansas football, it would be slightly above average, okay? Which is fine. Like, the best years Arkansas football has had recently were like, we are like three what-ifs away from like maybe being one of the best teams. You know, it's like, well, if we beat that team and and that team lost, then maybe we'd be it. But really, most of the time, we're just kind of like the average above average. And that's fine. It's fun. Well, I said earlier I went from 2016 to 2020, uh, and it just so happens that in those four years, what happened is Arkansas football was atrocious. We were so bad. What happened was we got a coach, and the coach didn't really, to be honest, know what he was doing. 
and he uh, hired the wrong assistants, he hired the wrong coordinators, he stopped recruiting uh, better players to come in, and all of a sudden, we had conflict on the coaching staff, we had people on the team pointing fingers at each other in the middle of the game, people getting frustrated, and it was really just turned into chaos. We were losing all of our games, people stopped going to the games, they were losing money as a program, it just turned into chaos. Well, in 2020, we hired a new coach. His name's Sam Pittman. He's a big old boy from Arkansas. And uh, he came in, and the first thing he did, he started hiring really good coordinators. And then he started hiring really good assistants, the right assistants. And then those assistants and coordinators and himself started recruiting better players. And then all of a sudden, uh, we put in a scheme and an uh, order to the chaos that started working. We started winning more games. People started coming to the games. People were having fun. And the next thing you know, uh, his second year, we go like 9 and, and 3 or 9 and 4 or something. And, and we go at the end of uh, the season to this thing called a bowl game, which is like an extra bonus game. That's, that's just a lot of fun. And our bowl game is actually in Florida. And so all of a sudden, this coach, we have a pretty good team. We go to Florida, and they're doing, like, press conferences. He's got, like, the Hawaiian shirt on. You know, it's just a party. Our fans are going to Florida. They're having fun. Well, we win that game. We come back to Arkansas, and they throw, and it sounds kind of funny because usually you do this for championships, but we threw, like, a parade. And we gave the, co the coach, like, this huge contract, co contract extension, like, multi-million dollars, and then uh, all the players got rings, which you also only do really for championship, but we did it for a bowl game. Here's why we did that. It's because we were celebrating because everybody saw how bad we were and how chaotic our program was, and then this guy came in and created some type of order in the midst of chaos, and we celebrated it. Here's why I tell you that story. Is the same thing is happening in Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah 12, we'll read and we'll learn that it is a huge celebration, just like the parade in Arkansas. It's a huge celebration of what God has done. And our God is a God who creates order out of chaos. And that's what he did here in Nehemiah. And so if you're with me, open up to Nehemiah 12. We're going to start at 27 and work our way through. And so to understand where we're at in Nehemiah 12, I'm going to recap kind of where we've been. And so it starts in the book before, in Ezra. And so in Ezra, Ezra actually starts with not Ezra, uh, but it starts with a guy named Zerubbabel. And uh, kids, here's a great tidbit, and, and parents, you too. Zerubbabel, you can remember what he did because Zerubbabel built the temple, Okay. So Zerubbabel comes and, uh, in miraculous ways, uh, comes and uh, gets favor in the, in the eyes of this king that he really didn't have that much business getting favor in, and comes and rebuilds the temple. Well, then later in Ezra, we see Ezra come, and Ezra was a guy who set his heart and his mind on the law of the Lord. And then because of that, he comes in and he reestablishes the law, and he reads the law, and it's, they celebrate that. And then after Ezra comes Nehemiah, which is what we've been talking about. Nehemiah comes in, and with the rubble of the walls, comes in, and he's a leader of leaders, and he has his heart and mindset on rebuilding the walls, and that's exactly what he does. He rebuilds the walls. And uh, this isn't part of it, but think about that order real quick. It starts with Zerubbabel building the temple, Ezra uh, 
uh, reestablishing the law and then Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. And if you really think about it, like it almost doesn't make sense. Like any logical person would be like, well, you should build the walls first that will protect you. Then you establish some type of order in the land and then you build the really valuable thing. But I think it was God showing off what he could do. And so uh, Zerubbabel builds the temple, then Ezra, and then Nehemiah. And we have this picture of uh, a Jerusalem that was just rubble and chaos, had no order. And in the midst of that, God used three people to reestablish order for his people. And so our first point is this. Our first point is God creates order out of chaos. And it's not just God created order out of chaos. It's that is who our God is. Our God is a God who creates order out of chaos. And he, you can see it throughout the whole Bible. Uh, the first is this back in Exodus. You see Exodus, right? Kids, we learned about this. Exodus is when we leave Egypt and there's the 10 plagues, there's parting the Red Sea, and these people uh, get on the other side of the Red Sea and they get to this place called Mount Sinai. But it's just kind of a mass of people. And, and these people at Mount Sinai, Moses goes up and he comes down, and God gives him an order uh, to, in a formation on how to uh, establish these people around God's presence himself, which is in the tabernacle, the, oh, the holy place. And, and then God, through a pillar of cloud and fire, leads his people, but, there, or, but in the chaos and the mass of people, there is order. And, and that order is all looking towards something, and it's looking towards the promised land. And so we see Israel's in Exodus, and then there's a mass of people, but God creates order in that, and it leads, and it's looking forward to the promised land. Well, then we have this uh, example here in Nehemiah, is uh, a Jerusalem. Babylon is over all of it, and Jerusalem is torn down. It's in rubble. But what happens is that through those three people we talked about a second ago, God creates order. And out of that order we see us looking forward to Jesus, the coming king. And here's the thing, is that it's our God's character that he does that. And so it's not just those two examples. The thing is, it's happening today. But I know what you're saying, which is why doesn't it feel like that's true? Because we look at the world around us and we see violence, we see uh, perversion in the schools. We see all the sin, all the violence around us, and, and we get uh, anxious. We get unrestful because of the chaos of, uh, that's around us, which, by the way, we should almost expect uh, from a broken world. But here's the thing is that we have to take a minute and take a step back and look in the mirror and see what, if you call yourself a Christian, God has done in your life. And let me tell you what he's done in my life. He's taken uh, the guy who was hiding addictions throughout his life, middle school and high school, who couldn't sleep because he was so anxious about what everybody thought of him. Uh, a guy who was essentially a, a clay mold of whatever the people around him wanted to be. That's who I was. And God took that guy and he created an order in my life. The chaos and the directionalist, he gave me a direction in my life, created an order. And I'm a new creation because of that. And if you're a Christian, he's done the same thing in your life as well. The world around us is a mess of sin, but that mess of sin is changed by God, who in the chaos has made order. And why does he do that? It's because we're looking towards something. We're looking towards the second coming of Jesus. 
And, and here's why I'm, I'm telling you this, and here's why that image is uh, behind me on the screen, is because we have to realize, and I said this last time I was up here, but we have to realize that the God we read about in the Old Testament, the God we read about who parts the Red Sea, the God we read about uh, who has done all the miracles, raised Lazarus from the dead, is the same God that is in you and in me. It's the same God today. And it's in his character to create order out of chaos. But our problem is a lot of times we don't act like that's true. We read the Bible and we think that those are great stories, but that they couldn't happen today. But we don't take the time to look at the miracles around us. My life is a miracle. Your life, you were dead in your trespasses. You had no life and God raised you from the dead. If you believe in him, you are free. And that's a miracle. And that is our God creating order out of chaos. Our chaos. It's the same God, which is amazing. And we see that example in Nehemiah. The rubble of the walls, the rubble of the temple, uh, the chaos of the people put into order. And so where does that lead us? It leads us into Nehemiah 12. Nehemiah 12 uh, essentially is, well, if you have your Bible, you're probably 27 through 43, is probably titled Dedication of the Wall. And, and, I, and I think that's great, because that is what's happening. But I think a more accurate title would probably be, like, The Party at the Wall, because that's basically what's happening. I mean, you read it, and you're like, this is a party. Uh, and, and so let me kind of give you a quick synopsis, a quick summary of 27 through 43. And so there's a dedication of the walls, and people are there to celebrate. And you have two groups, two choirs of people. And the first starts, uh, they both start on the west end, and the uh, one group works its way through the south loop and ends up on the east side, okay? So one goes down, ends up on the other side. Well, the other one that Nehemiah's in, he starts at the same place, but he goes north. And the whole time they're singing, and they meet up at this place, and then in 44 through 47, we see a service. But here's the point of what it's trying to say, is that it is a party, and they are rejoicing 16 times. I'll read some of them in a second. 16 times in this section, we get this idea of celebration. Uh, it starts in 27, right? It says that they're bringing them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing. In 30, it talks about purifying themselves so that they can give thanks to the Lord. In 31, the choirs were there to give thanks. Uh, in 36, it talks about how they were using the musical instruments of David, which is, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Uh, and then in 38, it says the other choir, they're there to give thanks. In 40, both choirs are giving thanks. In 42, the singers were singing uh, they were rejoicing. In 43, they offered great sacrifices. They rejoiced. Everybody rejoiced with great joy, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. There's a theme here, and there's something that we can't miss, and it's this idea of joy and celebration. And it makes sense, right? Like, these people just saw with their own eyes crazy ways how God took this uh, rubble and built it into something. And protected them the whole time. And so, yeah, they saw that with their own eyes, and now they're going to celebrate. And this is our second point. The second point is this. We should live lives of joyous celebration. We should live lives of joyous celebration. I want to focus on verse 43 here. 
Verse 43 says this, says, They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far, far away. If somebody talked like that to you, you would be like, what's going on? I mean, that's I, every other word, you can go to the next slide, the, every other word is like this idea of celebration or joy. And it makes sense. And it's not just because God's commanding them to be joyous, but doesn't it make sense that they would be joyous, they would be celebrating? Look what just happened. Here's the thing. I don't know if that's true for us. But shouldn't that be true for us? God just took us death to life, chaos into order. We should live lives more than anyone else of joyous celebration. We should live joyfully. Everybody in here, I guarantee you, when I uh, say the word joy, and, and if I asked you if you could think of somebody who embodied joy, you could probably can think of somebody. And here's what I'd say is that person, I'm pretty sure, I would bet, is joyful. They're either faking it or they're truly joyful because they're thankful. And, and here's what I want to say. Uh, is the reason I think that we fail to be joyful is because we don't think about that first point enough. The reason we fail to be joyful is because we're too busy thinking about ourselves and we're not thinking about what has been done for us. And so uh, I've kind of broken this down to where uh, if, if you're a person who wants to live a life of joyous celebration, right, if that's the goal, then a person who lives a life of joy celebration is a person who also lives a life of thankfulness. Thankfulness will lead to joy. A life of thankfulness comes from a person who has remembered, who remembers what has been done for them. And a person that remembers what has been done for them is a person in a life that is always coming back to the gospel. How often do you come back to the gospel? And I'm not talking about uh, just waking up and reading your Bible. There's been a lot of times, to be honest, that I've woken up and I've read Leviticus and I've not really thought that much about the gospel. Do we make time in our day to intentionally remember what Christ has done for us, Jesus on the cross, for you and for me? Do we really think about it? And before I move on, I want to talk about, uh, you can put verse 43 back on the screen. I want to talk about that last sentence. It says, the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. If I asked your five best friends words that would describe you, would joy be one of them? I think it's a good question to ask yourself. <laughs> Thanks, Carson. I think it's a good question to ask yourself. Is your joy heard from far away? The joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. Hand raised, like this is me. I don't think that I do this well. I think I have a lot uh, of room to grow in this aspect, but let's do it together. Let's remind each other of Jesus on the cross so that we can live lives of joyous celebration. Wouldn't it be awesome if like people around town 
just like, oh, yeah, they meet you, and you're radiating with joy, you must go to Outpost. You must be a Christian. That should be our goal. Do we think about what God has done for us? There's uh, two families that uh, they don't know I'm doing this, but I think that they do this really, really well, and I've been encouraged by them. The first is the Pearsons. And I'm not saying this just because they're Arkansas fans. Uh, <laughs> but the Pearsons, if you've met them, they are joyful, and they bring people in. And if you interact with them, the joy of the Pearsons is heard from far away. The other family is the Trougats. The Trougats have done a great job at being hospitable, at being joyful. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you ask the Trougats neighbors, they know what they are about. Because the joy of the Trougats has been heard from their neighbors. So let's be people who are joyful. Uh, and so uh, here's what happens, right? They, they see uh, our God put order into the chaos, and then they celebrate it, as they should. And, and what happens is they get over to the east side, uh, and they go into this gate, and they have a service. And I'm going to read this section, 44 through 47 says this, on that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, fruits, the tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the town. And Judah rejoiced, there's that word again, rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions to the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. And so we see here this idea that they come in and they have this service. Uh, right after the celebration, I'm sure the, the service was filled with joy as well. But here's what I want us to grab from this section, is that the third point, our, the Christian life is a team effort. And here's where I get that from. Uh, this section and the beginning of Nehemiah 12, which I don't dare read. Uh, kids, if you want to fun, you, we're talking about joy. If you want to bring joy... Uh, go to Nehemiah 12 on the way home, and then try to read all those names, okay? Uh, it'll bring joy to everybody. Uh, but uh, we see here this idea, there's a long list of people in their Levites, which are the people who are set apart uh, to be priests and to kind of uh, administer this service. But here's the thing about then and today is that today... 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you have the Spirit of God and the God, the, the God's Spirit dwells in you and, the temple of, and you are the temple of God? We are the temple of God and God's Spirit dwells in us. And then apart from that, Exodus 19.6, which is God kind of uh, giving a charge of uh, who he wants his people to be. Exodus 19.6 says that we are to be a kingdom of priests. So Christian, you are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation set apart. For God. That's what we're supposed to be. So we are a part of this. The Christian life is a team effort. 
And I love this section, one, because it kind of gives this idea of a team effort, but it also paints a really good picture of what it looks like. You see kind of towards the end how people were uh, making sure that others were provided for, making sure that others were seen as they were uh, performing this service, and the choir and the choir leaders were provided for. And and here's what I want us to to focus on, and and it's not that uh, you should give more, because I think that would be a miss. Here's what I want to focus on is do we have the heart to see and to provide for and to support those around us? Do we have the heart to do that? At the end of the day, God really doesn't care about how much money you give. He cares about your heart in the process. Is your heart his or is it yours? God's after your heart. He doesn't care about your actions. Your actions are going to follow if he has your heart. God is after your heart. And here we see a picture of people whose hearts are God's, and they're providing for and supporting others. We see a better picture in Acts, but uh, wouldn't this be, like, wouldn't this be great if that's where we lived, if that's the place we were? And and here's what I'm going to tell you, is that we get to that third point out of a uh, a celebration, out of a joyous celebration. Like, these people were so excited, so joyful, so celebratory that they weren't thinking about themselves. They were thinking about others. They were thinking about what God has done for them. And then they were started looking towards others. And that's when they saw uh, the people, and that's when they supported others. They had a heart to see it. Do we have a heart to see it? Uh, and so I'm going to close here in a second, uh, and Greg's going to come up and give a button. But here's what I want to talk about, is that there are three points on the screen. The Christian life is a team effort, and we got to get there. Uh, in fact, Greg, when he came back from his sabbatical, he told a, uh, gave an image of why we changed our names from community groups to community teams. Uh, and he said he was watching his documentary, and it was uh, something about the SEAL team, uh, the Navy SEAL, or what is it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. And uh, he's talking about the SEAL teams. And there's this scene where they're getting ready to go out. They're about to be sent. And they're all getting ready. They've got their backpacks on. And he said the thing that stuck out to him is that not one person was worried about themselves. They were all going to their brother because they thought that they were just as responsible for their success as they were for their own success. So they were going to their friend, their brother, and they were making sure that they had what they had needed to have on in their backpack. They were checking their uh, night vision goggles. They were checking all their gear to make sure it's good to go because they were worried about each other. They were not worried about themselves. And we as Christians are called to be people who are more selfless than them. So do we think about ourselves or do we think about others? Do we think about what God has done for us? The way we get to that third point is through the second point. When we're living a life of joy celebration, we're not going to be really thinking about ourselves that much. We're going to be thankful, and in the celebration, we're going to be looking at others. We're going to be having a good time. We're going to be worried about others on the outside, wanting to bring them in. Which, by the way, everybody in here, like, I'm pretty sure would say that they want to get there. They would love, I would love if my life was more joyful. I think everybody would say that. Well, I'm telling you, the way that you get to that second point is by remembering the first point. We have to remember that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of Addison uh, having no direction for his life, God came in and no... uh, 
in no part of myself had anything to do with it. But God came in and rescued me. And he gave me order. He gave me a purpose. He gave me a direction. He saved my life. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We were dead in our trespasses. And God breathed life into us. And it's a free gift. And if you're standing here and you don't know if that's you, you don't know if you have the order through the chaos. You don't know if your life is saved. I'm telling you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're going to have a group of people up here afterwards, and we'd love to talk to you if that's you. But do we really think about that often enough? Let's be people whose hearts are changed so much by the goodness of God that it leads us into a joyous celebration of a life. And that leads us to being on the same team as one another, selflessly, selflessly supporting others, checking on others, uh, being people who are marked by our love for one another. Does that sound good? Don't we want that? Let's be about it. Lord, thank you, thank you that you have sent your son to die on the cross. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. What a gift it is. I pray that we as a people are marked for our love for one another. I pray that we leave ready to be, ready to be people who are filled with joy, not faking joy, but truly changed by your love for us and what you've done on the cross, that it changes our life, that people realize and see that we are different because of your love. I pray that that is who we are. I pray uh, for the churches this morning that are meeting all across Cody, uh, that your word is preached. We thank you. I pray that you help us Uh, live that life in your precious name. Amen.